Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hey everyone, welcome along to the show. Today we get the chance to speak with Philip Sultrop, who's a PhD student at the University of Canterbury, and what he's studying is fluid dynamics when it comes to rockets, and we have a fascinating conversation about that. But we also touch on a huge range of other topics, including his love of endurance racing and the cancer that he has survived and what that has meant to his life. Here's an excerpt of the interview with Philip. You, live, you have to live every day, you know? Um, I mean, my, my father died long before he got 60 years old. You could say in retirement, you know, one of the best times of your life is still, still ahead of you. Right. But he, yes. he never got there. Mm. And I mean, this, this kind of attitude, oh, I do it later. Mm. I think it's, it's, it's not a good attitude mm. because you miss out so much. It's actually very simple to, to, to do it now, to find your purpose now and follow your purpose now. Mm. And you don't have to do it later. So if you go back to the glass, if it has, if it is it half full or half empty? It's like where can I fill it up? You know? Right. <laughs> just try a different different approach on it. Well, I know you're going to enjoy this interview, so we're going to get right into it. But don't forget that this is one of dozens and dozens of other interviews. And if you enjoy what you hear today, you might want to hit subscribe so that you can get them each week on a Tuesday morning. Now let's dive into the interview with Philip. So it's a pleasure to welcome Philip Sutrop here. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for the invitation. Um, what we do on this podcast is we talk about purpose and what people are doing. But in order to do that, we go right back to the beginning of their lives and kind of see what threads have woven through their life that explain maybe what they're doing now. So in your situation, can we go back to the beginning of your life and just tell us a bit about where you're from? Um, I'm originally from Germany, as you might pretty easily uh, hear from my accent. Um, yeah, so... so one thing I think that was pretty clear from the beginning was that I was always seeing myself as an, let's say, adventurer. And I think that influenced a lot of decisions of what I made afterwards and later on. Um, so what I would study, how I would study, what I do with two my, what would I do my free time. Um, yeah, that was pretty clear from the beginning on. Mm. Yeah. What were some examples from your childhood of that? Um, Mostly it was like in the sports, so it was always going for more and more. Um, the way we would play, um, so we had like a stream behind our house. Um, so it was always this kind of looking for something new, exploring something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. And which part of Germany were you from? Um, Middle West. Um, there's nothing pretty well known around, but um, I always say closer to Cologne. People know where that is. Um, mm -hmm. That's also where my brother's located by now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. And um, were you, it was a childhood spent outdoors a lot, it sounds like, or was there? Yes, quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And what sort of subjects did you enjoy studying at school? Uh, actually, I would say all of them. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, my focus was always on math and physics. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was really what I really enjoyed. Yeah. yeah. And was that, um, was there anything in your parents that you were following in like is that an area that they had encouraged or was it just something you know it was it was my own thing um but they supported me and my brother always at whatever we did mm -hmm. um mostly was focused around sports um so we would go to like a lot of yeah kind of championships um and events mm -hmm. um and yeah 
my parents like support that quite a lot my father even became kind of a coach later on he did never coach me um so he coached younger um track and field athletes mm -hmm. but yeah there was this big involvement around sports always mm -hmm. and my brother studies it now so you can see where it, where it went <laughs> right yeah oh interesting and i think you're about to go off to some event right in africa yes that's um in yeah in april so it's one and a half months roughly uh -huh. um that's the marathon de sable it's a 260 kilometer foot race through right. the sahara <laughs> it sounds like fun yeah i hope so <laughs> uh, so how do you ever get into a 260 kilometer race at this point i have no idea right um, <laughs> so the normal plan was to train a lot for yep. it um mm. but yeah last year last year i had i figured out i had some knee problems mm-hmm so I actually reduced my training quite a lot and tried to get rid of the problems. Yeah. Um, but now it's okay, but not great. Right. But yeah, I didn't train much. I think I will have trained less this year than most people train per week. Right. So I think the complete race will switch from endurance, probably more to the mind and preparation. Right. Yeah. Adrenaline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little bit of that too. Yeah. So, uh, since we're talking about that, 260, 260 kilometers? Yeah, in seven days. In seven days, yeah. So, how do you train for a, a race like that? Because um, nope. how many marathons is that over? It's uh, yeah, marathon is 40. So, yeah, it's like seven. It's wow. more than seven. So, yeah. it's like doing a marathon every day for yeah. a week. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's in different you, stages so um mostly the first days are roughly around 40 kilometers then there's a 90 kilometer stage oh, okay which of goes course. over two days <laughs> another yep. marathon and in the end is a two kilo a 10 kilometer charity stage for i'm not sure if, i think it's unicef right yeah yeah so is that um so does that trace back to your high school years in running was yeah. that the sport that you loved yeah i did a lot of track and field um so focused later on on 1,000 meters and 800 meters mm -hmm. and continued then with 2,000 meter steeplechase. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I, was, I was always a runner, kind of, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, and then later changed. Um, so during university time, I switched more to orienteering racing, mm -hmm. um, which was map and compass. And then when I got here to New Zealand, I continued that and, yeah, got also more into trail running. I mean, the portals here are fantastic. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I don't run in, on paved streets anymore at all. Never. Yeah. So where do you go up in the trails yeah. through? Yeah. Just follow, follow the mountain bike tracks, the, the tramping tracks. Um, you can just combine them to like an endless net of, of ways. Uh, right. Yeah. Just and you probably get to see views that no one else sees, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Like, And it's so different. Like you run at night and it's just beautiful city. Everything is dark, just the lights. Or you have like great view up to the alps kaikoura even um yeah i love it wow that's great um so just just to finish off on the race that you're coming up mm -hmm. to do like how do you make the decision to do that like a 260 kilometer race was that a friend said let's do it together or you know like what led to that i think once i found the race actually i knew about the race it was more decision of when to do it i see yeah um and i think i yeah, I had to sign up quite early sign up one and a half years earlier because uh -huh. the race is pretty full pretty quickly right um yeah it was it was an easy decision to be honest yeah um, 
yeah, was, I didn't have to think about it very long. Oh, that's and, good. Yeah. yeah, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be doing it anytime soon. <laughs> and um, when you're racing there, like what sort of conditions will there be? Is it is it a hot hot place or is it kind of in the mountains? Or It's pretty hot over the day. Mm. Um, gets cold at night. Um, I think the biggest challenge is definitely the heat. Or well, the two biggest challenges are the heat and the sand. So a lot of problems for for every runner actually come from sand in the shoes i see so blisters i think most people actually who don't finish the race they don't finish because of they either have blisters and they they just can't run anymore yes um yeah or 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 their mindset also like because of the heat because of the conditions i think it's rarely um really endurance right that stops you from from finishing yeah there's some physical thing that maybe happens and be hard to finish yeah yeah and the other one is definitely yeah your mindset like can you do it or not because there can be some tough conditions you know like some people have blisters they're as big as a hand yeah it's just really tough from there on right um yeah and the way you prepare for it just defines of defines your chances of finishing yeah or finishing and having fun i mean that was my idea right <laughs> I, never, I went there to say like oh i did this tough race or i participate in a tough race i want to go to this race and have fun and yeah. enjoy it yeah i think otherwise there's no point in it yeah well true have you considered doing like the ultra marathons where you keep going like all through the night as well i did but i think due to my current knee conditions uh, i have to shift that idea a bit yeah um, yeah it's just i had a f- uh, one of those friends of ours did one of those and was basically falling asleep as he ran kind of running off the road you know because he'd been going for like some crazy crazy long time yeah i've done 24 hour races okay but i think that's still kind of in the time frame where it's totally fine yeah i think once you go longer so god's zone is coming up soon so one of the probably the biggest um or like most challenging adventure race here in new zealand mm. and they don't sleep at all for multiple days right maybe one or two hours i think these kind of races they get really really tough yeah now i've heard of people like falling off their bike while while biking because they fell asleep right yeah but i think <laughs> yeah for for this running race that, that i'm attending in the desert it's very different because it's in stages um, you have to carry all of your gear oh i see but they provide all the water and kind of bare buttons. it's just a kind of fly um right yeah so it's, it's so it's you're running with yeah. your gear as yes. well yeah all the food um sleeping bag everything you need yeah <laughs> it sounds sounds very challenging <laughs> yeah I, I actually have no idea what i what, <laughs> what I you signed up for yeah <laughs> it but sounded it sounded hard DF. enough when you said 260 kilometers in seven days and now with your backpack with mm-hmm. your food and your clothes and everything else it's uh, it's not sounding any easier <laughs> yeah that's you, what makes part of the adventure yes. not to know everything right so i mean there's a lot of planning involved but at one point you can't plan anymore yeah you yeah. can't you can prepare a blister kit you can prepare your food yeah but whether you get blisters or not it's not at one point it's not in your hands anymore yeah and i think that's what makes it so exciting of like adapting to the situation yeah and making the best out of it yeah, yeah. 
Well, I can tell you on the seventh day when you're eating the food and you've run with it for 260 kilometers, <laughs> you'll be appreciating it, I'm sure. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Last year, I did something called the Corporate Challenge, and it was five kilometers in Hagley Park.、Mm -hmm. So I was really pushing the boundaries of the possible, I guess. <laughs> Pretty easy. Well, it's then the question of speed. I mean, <laughs> that's true. You can, like, get exhausted on a 400 meter race and you're, like, completely out of power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Well, we've gone on a really big, deep rabbit hole there about endurance racing. Let's come back to your、um, studies and what、mm -hmm. you ended up studying. And、um, let's maybe talk about university. What was it that you were studying then?、Um, I started with mechanical engineering,、um, mostly because of, I love creating things, I love designing things, solving problems.、Yeah. And yeah, the focus in math and physics, it was pretty clear for me that I wanted to become an engineer.、Mm. Um, when I started, I didn't really know what, what I would do.、Mm -hmm. But、um, I think that was never really my way. I always know, okay, when I see something, then I know it's right or not.、Mm. And yeah, somehow got into aerospace engineering. And I, because it's kind of this adventure again. So my university was very focused on、um, automobile industry. So Volkswagen is just 20 kilometers around.、Mm. And nearly everyone ends up in the automobile industry as an engineer. But for me, that was not that exciting anymore, or at least I would not expect that exciting because I, I need this exploration opportunity. And for me,、uh, going into the space, space industry or aviation industry had this feeling of exploring.、Mm. Yeah. And yeah, then、um, at one point, I ended up at the German Aerospace Center, worked there for three and a half years as a student assistant. And that, I think, shaped. Kind of what I wanted to do and how I would work today、uh, was a really great experience,、mm. great learning experience that I had there. Yeah. yeah. And when you talk about this, was it mainly to do with airplanes or was it also thinking about rockets and space travel and that type of thing? Actually, it was quite funny because I think I was probably the only student at the complete university in that degree who had never been in an airplane before. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is unusual. <laughs> yeah.、Uh, so, so all my like, Yeah, peers would just like buy the aviation magazines.、Uh, I wouldn't. Right.、Um, for me, it was the, the, yeah, the exploring factor. So, so、um, at the German Aerospace Center, I would, for instance, support the team in、uh, simulating、um, unmanned aircraft, so, so UAVs.、Mm. And that was, again, this kind of exploring. That thing, you know, it just flies as good as the engineers created. Right.、Um, and there are these, these things we don't know. Yeah. And yeah, at one point, I then moved into, into the rocket science, and that's yeah, even more exploring. You know?、mm. You're constantly engineering on the edge of what you know.、Mm. And you always have to do something where you take kind of, yeah, let's say risks.、Mm. Um, and I like, like this kind of unknown part and do it in a way where, where it works out、mm. or where you learn from, from, from the failure. Because it's a different type, you know. Like if you if you start or launch a UAV, if you launch a rocket,、mm. if something goes wrong, you can't just say, "Okay, stop." If it goes wrong, it goes really wrong. Yeah, yeah. You got an explosion on your hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So that was in Germany that you were studying. Yes. The, so you moved a bit into that rocket science at、yeah. that point. Yeah.、Mm. And what brought you to New Zealand? I wanted to do my PhD with rockets.、Um, And I looked actually in Germany,、um, uh, but the point was no one was actually offering something.、Mm. 
Um, I mean, I had some conversations with professors, but no one was really working on a project. Um, and then I looked yeah, in Europe worldwide and I had found Rocket Lab years before. I think I'd probably applied there uh, when still nobody knew that the company did, did exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably applied there long before most of the employees now, but never got an answer. But years later, this information helped me to find the University of Canterbury. Mm-hmm. So and then I found that they had like a very yeah, nice program here. There's a lot of people working on it. Um, it was a constant program, so it's it's a really old program by now. And yeah, that's that's what got me here. Mm. And what did you know about New Zealand before you came? Nothing. <laughs> it was again like you know this this adventure. I, I knew nothing. Yeah. I knew I had to put my like um, trail running gear into my bag, but but that's it. Right. Honest, yeah. Yeah. And how long ago was that that you came? Um, yeah, three years and three months ago, roughly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Love it here. Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I actually think there's lots of similarities with Germany, though, isn't there, in terms of outdoors? And, like, uh, you meet German people all over the world who are doing hikes and getting out. It seems like nature is quite a big part of the culture there. Or am I just misreading? <laughs> no, you're probably the people you meet here, right. they uh, have yeah. the kind of similar mindset, maybe. Maybe that mentality, yeah. yeah. But otherwise, no, nah, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. Um, and so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now in terms of you're studying for your PhD and what's, t- what's the topic that you're looking at? So the general area is flight control and mechanics. And it's funny, you're drinking right now, and that's mm-hmm. exactly what I'm working on. If okay. you move your cup, yep. you'll see that the water moves around. I've got a cup of water around. here, yeah. And similarly, the rocket has fuel in it, mm-hmm. and that sloshes around and creates problems. Right. So because right now you have it in your hand, and it's pretty solid, but yep. the rocket in space is it's not attached to anything. Mm. So the sloshing of the fuel creates kind of motions in the rockets, and sometimes it can get unstable and... NASA, for instance, and I think even yeah, SpaceX, they've lost pretty expensive rockets due to what's called fuel sloshing. Hmm. And that's what I'm working on with a very different approach. Um, so the, the standard approach I always compared also with a cup of coffee is to put a lid on the cup. Right. But now imagine these, like going to like Starbucks or coffee and they say like, oh, what, do you want to have a lid on your coffee to go? And they say, and you say like, yes. And they say, okay, that makes $2. Right, you know, it's it's a different dimension in terms of costs, um, efficiency. Um, so so um, I try to solve that with a mathematical way by measuring something and predicting what the slosh is doing. So it's kind mm. of the idea is to do the right movements at the right time. Mm. And then what try somehow compensate for yep. what you know is going to happen? It's going to mm. slosh this way, so we're going to move this way. And, exactly. Right. Ah. And how's it going? <laughs> um, pretty good so far. So I had some very successful wind tunnel tests. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, just converting kind of the results, the modeling into a flight version. So something that's... Because in, in the wind tunnel, the, the flight speed doesn't change. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, the complete methodology worked really, really well. Hmm. And then do you need to take that out and test it in a rocket itself and see how it's going to work? Or? Yeah. So in our group, we have smaller rockets, mm-hmm. um, and we just test all the algorithms on these small rockets, I and see. our algorithms are really easy, scalable. So it doesn't really matter in the end how big that rocket is. It's still the same model. Oh, okay. Yeah. So even if you test on a rocket that's this big, you know, quite small, it's the same for, a, mm-hmm. like, it, there's no 
difference in the scalability? I mean, there will be some effects, yeah. but the main model is the same, doesn't mm. change. Yeah. Ah. And this research that you're doing, um, has that um, been involved at all with Rocket Lab and what they're doing? Um, it's kind of in cooperation with Rocket Lab, so they will get all of my results, mm -hmm. but I haven't been act actually there yet. Yeah. I hope that I'm maybe going there in the next one or two months for mm -hmm. the end of my PhD. But yeah, up to now I had no really direct involvement with Rocket Lab. Yeah. But yeah, otherwise the support came from there um, in terms of financial support, um, also contacting some of the people. Yeah. 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 Oh, great. So you you'll finish it up pretty soon, and then you'll I go hope so. for your. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, yeah, and w once you finish it, then um, that's an industry that you're hoping to get into. It sounds like it's a pretty specialist area. Yes. Yeah, I need, I need this kind of, again, this exploring opportunity in, in the job. So yeah. a rocket company obviously would be perfect for that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And just take me back to your childhood. Was, you know, were there any movies about space and things that now you realize that's pretty cool that I liked that or not so much? I mean, the obvious one is Star Wars, right? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> I think everybody grew up watching Star Wars and thinking how cool that was but I think it didn't really influence me in the way that I would do rocket science now I think it, that's that's more like I see an opportunity and I know exactly I will like that mm. for a long time mm. um, so so I'm not sure if, if there are any influences from from other people um, from movies mm. or books um, yeah yeah Oh, that's good. Well, on this podcast, we talk about that word purpose, mm -hmm. and I'm just keen to unpack what it means for you and also talk a little bit about some of the mentoring or coaching that you're doing mm -hmm. as well. Um, yeah, so maybe just starting with that word. <laughs> yeah, what what sort of resonates for you or um, what, what do you think it means, I guess? Mm, yeah, I told you before. So for me, I use a different word, and mm -hmm. I, um, I use typically the word direction, having, having a direction. Mm-hmm. So pur purpose in this case would mean like you know your direction or how how you create a direction that helps you and other people. Mm -hmm. um, so the way I got into coaching, so for me, which is something to help people to find their direction, or in this case, their purpose, sure. support them. Mm. Um, yeah, I came also from, from this adventure. So the point was I was always very ambitious. And at one point, yeah, I figured out people sometimes didn't like that. You know, if you go to a competition, you really want to win it. And most often you actually do win it. So some people don't like it. <laughs> so um, they got in this kind of problem that I followed other people's expectations a bit. So I traded kind of ambition for, let's say, social acceptance. And to my surprise, that worked actually really, really well. To the point that I would lose the adventurous part. So at one point, the very beginning of my studies, it was actually, I was thinking, okay, I would just work for, you know, a standard company as an engineer. But this kind of fire, the, the adventure was a bit gone. And yeah, then I had this kind of very uncomfortable, let's say, wake up call. Mm. So um, my father got uh, cancer and it was a very hard long time. So it was over ha half a year. Mm. Um, and one month after he died from cancer, mm. I got then cancer. Oh. So it was on my 23rd birthday where I diagnosed myself with cancer. I was like, hey, happy birthday. Um, 
so so now I had cancer and had to go through a very similar process. Although I knew from the beginning on that I had quite good chances of, of um, yeah, let's say surviving mm. or coming back. Yeah, um, you know that you have good chances when 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 like your doctor says like the chance of you know like surviving is nine hundred ninety nine percent. That's you know when you know like the chances <laughs> are good and this guy has no idea about math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so in this time I had a lot of different questions you know um some people always say like as long as you don't ask different questions you don't get different answers mm -hmm. and i asked a lot of different questions in that time right um and i think i got a little bit back to where it started the adventure so one thing for instance was while i couldn't really move so i would leave the bed and after five meters i would nearly crash out of exhaustion i watched a lot of tv and i watched a lot of documentation documentaries about china the silk route um i thought like oh why don't I do this? So and a year later, I would um, go to Nepal to study there for three months Buddhism, mm -hmm. just out of interest. You know, I'm not a Buddhist. I like the philosophy, but yeah, I studied it for three months. Mm -hmm. It was a great time. And I realized like, hey, like going back to adventures is so, so easy mm. and simple. It's like so simple to actually follow your own ideas, so your, your purpose. And yeah, so I worked more and more on that. And at one point I made the decision because I like to also speak with people about it um, to become a coach. Yeah. Mm, that's great. So just take us back a bit more to your 23rd birthday. <laughs> How do you cope with that news? Your father's just passed away and you get that news. To be honest, it was inconvenient, just inconvenient. Um, what do you mean? In the sense the doctor was so confident that you'd make it through? No, even before I had met a doctor, I oh, knew okay. it would be inconvenient. I see. But I think I was never in a, let's say, bad mood. Uh -huh. So one of the things I'd learned from my father, which was pretty impressive, and I have no idea how he did it, was um, that he never really complained about anything during that time. Mm -hmm. So one of the problems was he couldn't eat, for instance, because it was part of the problem. Mm -hmm. So he would live kind of, let's say, like liquid food, food um, we an infusion for for months, and he never complained about it. Really, at least I didn't hear him complaining any any time about it. Mm. Um, and I think that had shaped me a bit in the way I handled it. Mm. So it was kind of inconvenient. I couldn't do something. There was another race I had just signed up for. You know, it was coming like two months later, and it's like, okay, this is not going to happen. Right. And so, okay, you can't change this. So, don't complain about it. I mean, work on the things you have in your hands and don't complain about the rest because it just doesn't help at all. Mm. Mm. I think it was an important thing I actually learned from, from that, mm. or at least improved, let's say. It's about the attitude, isn't it? Yeah, it is. many, you know, it's that classic, is the glass half full or half empty sort of thing? You know, yeah. like, what's your attitude going to be? My great-grandfather, when he was in his 60s, went blind and... Um, the the saying or the the tradition within our family that, that all his grandkids knew was the exact same thing that you're saying that he never complained and it stuck through the generations down to me you know i never met him he died in 1960 but still there's this tradition in our family that this guy who was an amazing person and the the story goes that he was able to um i guess get on with it and never complained about mm -hmm. what life had dealt with you know dealt to him i'm not sure how i would cope to be honest you know if i 
if I lost my sight, it's a pretty important thing. Mm. Um, but I, I, yeah, I'd like to think that I would have a correct attitude or try to have a good attitude. It's hard to talk theoretically, but it sounds like you went through it. <laughs> so that's yes. why I'm curious, just to tease it out from you, you know. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and that diagnosis in terms of giving you perspective on life, it sounds like it helped you to focus on what you wanted from a career or what you wanted to study as well. I think, yes, it did, because it, it also showed me, like, you live, you have to live every day, you know. Um, I mean, my my father died long before he got sixty years old. Mm. So, and I mean, you could say in retirement, you know, one of the best times of your life is still still ahead of you. Right. But he yes. he never got there. Mm. And I mean, this this kind of attitude, oh, I do it later. Mm. I think it's 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 not a good attitude mm. because you miss out so much. Mm. And the it's actually very simple to 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 do it now to find your purpose now and follow your purpose now mm. and you don't have to do it later mm. so if you go back to the glass if it has if it is it half full or half empty it's like where can i fill it up you know? right <laughs> I just try a different different approach on it mm. yeah no i like that that's really good so that's obviously shaped sort of what you've done since then and, yes. and how you approach each each day yeah and how else did it affect you Oh, that's a good question. I think most most of the things I learned from it, or I think they are they are really hard to to catch sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the, the interesting point was, for instance, when when I um, got cancer, they told me, "Okay, you don't need a chemotherapy. We just have an operation, and you're fine, most likely." So did the operation blood um like the blood values look good mm. um I think three months later I was running um German orienteering um championships in in the universities I did really really bad um I even didn't expect to be good but and, yeah, I knew I was was back and like a week later next blood test says like it's it's back so mm. I had to go through the process again you know N another operation chemotherapy but I knew it's like, okay, this is the second time inconvenient now, but at one point it will be over. Mm. Um, and I think as long as you have also support from other people, I had I got huge support from, from my family, from my friends. Um, it, is, it is all doable. And it, yeah, sometimes it's just, you have to just sit it out. Mm. I mean, last year actually, one of my friends also got cancer he's also yeah back now it was actually pretty pretty hard for me to see him like laying in the same hospital in the same kind of department mm. where i had been mm. but i think i could see in his attitude that that he was doing really well and i i think it was for me it was clear he would just come back mm. uh, sometimes you can just also see it see it in, in people i mean also in in yeah it's, it's of course also depending on your you know like what your doctor says mm. you know, how bad it actually is um but yeah the rest is attitude i think mm. and that attitude of your father where do you think he got that from i actually don't know had he been had he is it like if you trace back earlier you know like 
before he had that news? Was, is that the type of person he was, or, or did it come out when he was faced with this really difficult situation? I'm not sure, because you're not prepared for that kind of stuff, you know? Mm. Um, you don't expect it, and you don't have a plan early on, where it's no. like, oh, just in case, you know, it happens, here's how you could behave. Yeah. Uh, how, how, how you just go through it. Um, yeah, I actually, I actually don't know how I did it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it definitely impressed me. And I think it kind of helped me going through it because I had seen actually someone going through it. I mean, it ended really badly in this case. Hmm. I mean, my father did not survive it. Mm -hmm. But kind of his attitude and how to handle that definitely kind of, let's say, survived in me because I tried, not really tried to do the same, but I knew I, I would try to handle it the same way. Hmm. Um, not not to complain about it. Um, I also never had really f any fears about it mm. um, because, yeah, what, what what to be afraid of, you know? Mm. Either it's bad, then it's bad, or it's good, then it's good. So mm. just go for the good. Mm. You you can't really handle the rest anyway. Yeah, there's uh, some things you can control and others yeah. you can't, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, and how do you remind yourself of that attitude that you found at that point in terms of living each day? Because what I find is that there are those, I guess, mountaintop experiences mm -hmm. where something, uh, you, you get a new vision for, wow, look at the dawn breaking, you know, like it's mm -hmm. something transforming, but then you come back down into the valley and it's kind of a trudge day by day. Um, is, is there anything that you do or, or ways to remember to keep that adventure being important front of mind? Starting coaching was actually part of that decision of keep, keep on going. Mm. Because one thing I learned um, was doing it is simple. It's not necessarily easy, but it's definitely simple. So and at one point I made the decision, hey, I could also do this, let's say, professionally, help other people through similar processes. And surprisingly, there was also this huge um, connection to, to the rocket science, which I also brought into the coaching, because then, then it comes also to risks. Um, I mean, there's this funny, like, English phrase, it's not rocket science, which I didn't know before I came here. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but I think people always misuse it in the, in the form of they say, oh, you don't need to be that intelligent to do it. But I think it means you don't need to face the same risks. You know, in rocket science, at one point, someone presses the red button and there's no way back. Mm. If it goes wrong, it really goes wrong. Yep, there's a countdown. Yeah. <laughs> but in m most cases, whatever you do in life, the risks are so much easier. They, they are lower and I just like merged all all these kind of experiences together I read more and more about it and yeah at one point I made the decision of starting as a coach and that kind of reminds me of day. it keeps me also focused on learning more mm. and telling other people about it or like speaking with people coaching people like just listening just helps me a lot I mean it's surprisingly how much I learn from let's say clients or other people mm. yeah um, so what are some of the lessons or the things that you're trying to help people with? Definitely one point is the risk management um, because it's it's risks and values. And I, I actually learned also risks from, a pre, uh, from another pretty bad experience. So we had this rocket launch in Germany. I was the launch leader. And up to the point where we had pressed the button, it was, the I would say, the best and best rocket launch I'd ever attended. 
it just went really smooth like no delay nothing it was just i would say it was kind of perfect doesn't normally happen but right. then it went totally wrong from there on. i see <laughs> so the parachute did not ignite and the rocket just crashed somewhere in a field and we couldn't find it at one point so we were searching in the area that we had calculated so we had calculated even this scenario what would happen if the parachute doesn't open what's the worst case scenario mm. we couldn't find the rocket right so so since you're also not prepared for that kind of stuff you thought okay let's go home you just calculate a bit more we just take all the wind things into account and then come back next day and at midnight we figured out from from a newspaper article that we actually had crashed into a family house which was further away and actually out in the theory out of reach i see and we had crashed into a children's room all right <laughs> so it was really really bad it was in every newspaper radio tv for the next days it oh was my goodness really bad especially like yeah then the government was kind of investigating and i was kind of the uh, head of these papers because i was the responsible launch leader i see um, so 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 they learned again about you know the risks what happens and so I made the distinction between critical failure and failing. I mean, it's, it's more or less the same word, but there's a difference. So critical failure for me means if something goes wrong and you can't recover from it. So let's say in this case, we could recover from, from this rocket crash because we had not killed anyone. I mean, that would have been a critical failure, you know? Yeah. You definitely like end someone's dreams, someone's ideas, someone's visions, someone's purpose. But in this case, everyone could kind of recover from that and i think too often we mistake critical failure with failing i mean they, they so what does failing mean failing is that? for instance um something stupid you know like a car crash you you crash your new car into a wall it costs you five thousand dollars and you think oh that was a failure you know mm. um also like more risk risk involved like starting a business for instance so many people who start a business have risks investments for instance and then it's a question like should i do this yes or no mm. and people sometimes don't do it because they think like oh once it fails like life ends like it will be so embarrassing i can't go back to my family whatsoever so the, so they made the mistake of switching that and the other point is risks is r they are really difficult to handle because on one side you have a number mm. and on the other side you have typically a value and then you weight them out so let's say, for instance, people who go on the Everest, at one point, the risk of dying was one to six. People would still go up there. Why would they do that? Mm. Because they said, like, it's worth it, you know? Like, the, the tiny risk of dying, which is hey, just 15%, roughly, it's totally worth of doing it. Like, it will be a lifetime experience. It will be awesome. Mm. So now ask their wives or their, their husbands what they think about doing it. And they say, no, don't do it. It's, right. it's totally risky. You could die. Look at it. It's 15%. So the risk didn't change. In both cases, it's one to six. But depending on who you ask, the values are different. So some people do it, some people don't do it. Mm. So it's risks versus values. Mm. The problem is, how do, how do you compare that? A risk is sometimes a number. Sometimes it's not even a number because you don't know it. Mm. And what's the value? And how do you compare these two things? It's like comparing something in meters with something in seconds. Mm. It's really difficult. Mm. That's an interesting, interesting picture, isn't it? Meters and seconds, yeah. both forms of measurement, but completely different scales. Exactly. But yeah. you have to do that if, yeah. you, if you take risks or you don't take risks. Mm. 
So the difference between failing and critical failure, mm-hmm. critical failure, that's the ones that you can't recover from. Yep. Is that right? So yep. that's where the rocket hits the, hits the house and somebody yep. dies and the whole program is shut down. Yep. Whereas a failure, you can recover from mm-hmm. and you can learn from it and continue on your way. Yeah, so then I would always ask people like, um, or give them two quotes. So one quote is, failure is not an option. And the other one is like, fail as often as possible. Mm. So what do you think that's right? Mm-hmm. So if you put that in perspective of who said it, the one is from Gene Kranz. So the space flight, uh, like the most important NASA f- uh, flight director of all times. So he did everything from landing on the moon up to people dying. And that was connected. Failure is not an option in terms of, we won't let people die on this mission. Mm. Because that's definitely not an option. They can't recover from that. Right. So the other the other quote is, I don't know how many million people have said it by now. Mm. That's people who can recover. Sports athletes, for instance. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan, he said, like, um, do you know how many like shots I missed? And, and yeah, how many game winners I missed, yeah. right? I, I think I read that quote. I yeah. love basketball, so I think, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And um, But he was one of the greatest athletes of all time. And he had... Yeah. But he took the risk. He took the risk of taking a winning or losing shots seconds before the game finished. And mm-hmm. he's like, "Okay, I take the responsibility here, but I want to win, and I want to win with the team here. Mm. So, and I think I'm I'm confident that I can do this. So, do it." Mm. That's good. So, it, in a way, it comes back to that attitude, doesn't it? Yeah. Sort of um, how you're approaching life. But the, you could also, in this case, say you can't take risks without knowing your purpose because your purpose is connected to the values. Mm. So if, an, if you start a business, for instance, an easy example, you need to know what's your purpose here? What's your value in this in this business? And if, if you start a business for the wrong reasons, then the risks are very, like, the, no, the risks are still the same, but like the decision will be completely different. Mm. So in some points, this is like, oh, something doesn't feel right here then your friends is not really clear about your purpose or your, your direction, mm. your values. And sometimes it's like, oh, losing $100,000? Like, hell, I'm in. It's like, you know, like, that's what I want, you know? Mm. And if I lose it, okay, then I, after five years, I can recover from that. But I, I would be mad if I was like 80, 90 years old and I hadn't done it, mm. you know? Yeah, not looking back with regret, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting just thinking, I love the, um, the picture that you gave I don't know why it really sticks with me of the seconds versus meters, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, different scales. Cause I think in life, sometimes we get tr- on track and, you know, just take a career, for example, yeah. you know, there's a progression in the career and you're going up, you're climbing the ladder <laughs> mm-hmm. and you're getting up further, higher, higher. And so that's one scale. That's mm-hmm. one level of measuring success. And probably with some, benefits from monetary point of view you know getting salaries increasing but then maybe there's another scale which is children or you know family and you're realizing that wait a minute the scale here sure i'm increasing here but this other scale i'm failing on and then that often is where people then have to reevaluate which scale is more important to me is it the money scale and the career scale or is it the actually i know who my children are and they want to talk to me scale yeah, um, often it's something quite gets challenging. Out, something gets out of balance. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, for me, that's like if if you get out of balance, I, I say you get a, you you lose your direction. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I use the example from orienteering racing. So hmm. normally you have just a map and a compass and you try to find control points. So markers somewhere in the environment could be in the hills and in the mountains, you try to find as many points as possible in a, in a given time, mm -hmm. and you try to maximize that. Yeah. So in similar, you 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 want to maximize, let's say your yeah outcomes or results in your life. You know, you want to have a great life. Mm. Um, you want to have a great family, good friends, uh, having having good time. You also want to have a good career, maybe. So so it's very similar, mm. and in both cases, what you need is direction and speed. So if you have both, you get to the finish line. But then in the in the beginning, it's like if 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 it doesn't matter to have like high speeds if if you run in the wrong direction. Mm. I think Gandhi said like a, had a very similar quote. Also, he said I think walk. I use run since I'm a runner. <laughs> so and it's that's the other thing. So if you if you're not clear about your purpose, mm. it doesn't matter how efficient you are. Mm. And that's another funny thing I learned. Like and I mean since since I started the coaching and I had all these experience, I always looked back and observe these things quite differently because mm -hmm. i found it well it's, this is really important so, so it took the time and i remember like one time where i was running and i got beaten in one of my early orienteering races by a 12 year old girl and a 70 year old senior runner right <laughs> i thought like what the hell is going on you yeah. know it was just two years uh, well two three years after i had been running at german championships and i considered myself still a good runner but they bet me it's like what, what the hell is going on here so the point was, close to the uh, control points with my map, I got lost. I always felt like, oh, I, I'm not sure where I am right now. And then these experienced people would catch up. So the girl had been doing it for years. So she started when she was four, probably four or five years. Mm. And the senior runner just, yeah, experience pure. I mean, he had like a huge like uh, magnifier over his map and like walking poles and he wouldn't move fast, but he would always catch up with me. Hmm. It was pretty annoying. <laughs> uh, and I figured out I had just been running faster than I could navigate. Hmm. And then you get in trouble a bit. Yeah. And it's maybe similar. So you, you go up on the, you, you, you set the, the money ladder and you think, like, wow, this is pretty good. So I'm really fast. And then just miss, miss out the, the other part. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, just taking that race analogy, since mm -hmm. we talked a lot about running, yeah. um, you're running in an 800 meter race and you've got the start and then you're running and then there's a defined finish. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that we're talking about is that that direction that you're heading in, yeah. you have to know what it is that you want to get when you get to the end of your race. What advice have you got for people about how they can find out what that end should be that they're aiming for? Because there are many options mm -hmm. in life. How does how do how should people find out what the direction should be for them? I mean, first of all, ask yourself the questions. So the same as in navigation, um, even the same in a car. If you're in a new city and try to find something and you have no smartphone with you, mm. no navigation computer, just ask yourself three questions. The first one is, where are you right now? You could also ask yourself, who are you right now? And the second question is, where do you want to go? Or who do you want to be? So this just gives you a point A and a point B. And that's the funny thing because these these questions or the answers are so unique to you that you can't find them in books. So all these self-help books don't work. Reading blog articles doesn't work. Um, advice from other people doesn't, doesn't really work. So it's because you have to answer that, um, which is kind of part of the coaching, answering these questions like, and you know the answers typically. Mm. Um, you're sometimes just not aware of that. 
And then the third question is, how do you get as fast as possible, as most efficient from A to B? So in terms of if you're driving the car, you want to have the fastest route. Or you say, okay, maybe I want to have the most scenic route or the one that has like less fuel consumption. But I mean, what, what's the point in driving if you don't even know where you want to go? Mm. Or if you know where you want to go, but you have no idea where you are actually right now, because that defines always your direction. Mm. So you have to ask yourself these two questions first. Where are you and where do you want to go? Mm. That's good. I like, I like that because it forces people to step back from their life mm -hmm. and think about who they are. Yeah. And I think very often we're so caught up in the busyness of life. Yeah. You know, like, I'm, I'm so busy. I've got things to do today, tomorrow, the next day, that we forget to actually analyze, well, what am I doing and why am I doing it? I th yeah, I think midlife crisis is probably, uh, as an observation, it's often this thing where people have gone in the wrong direction for too long. I think a good example where you can always see people getting out of that is there's a triathlon. So people suddenly start in their like 40s, 50s with triathlon. Mostly people with a lot of money, so they can afford all the all this technical, the gear and all the toys you you need. You know, like these expensive bikes. And they suddenly feel alive again. It's like, wow, there's this adventure again. Mm. Because they've, they've been going in the, in the wrong direction. They're, they're waiting. Like, hey, where's, where's this adventure here? Mm. Where's, like, me improving somewhere? And they suddenly, like, oh, I need a faster bike. I need to be better in the transition uh, time. So, so they try to improve everything. And they get really, like, fire in that. And they, like, find something back. Mm. But they probably went in the wrong direction beforehand. Right. Too long. Yeah which comes back to our scales, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. the, <laughs> which, how are you measuring um, yeah. your purpose or your direction using yeah. our different words? Yeah, oh, that's really good. And you mentioned um, listening before, you know, mm -hmm. talking with, with clients or people. Yeah. Um, what role do you think listening plays in all of this? For me as a coach, listening is one of, no, probably the most important, let's say, skill. Because... If I want to help you, let's say, for instance, answer the question of where you are and where you want to go, mm. I need to listen because I can tell you that. I can help you by asking you the right questions. So, like, um, I would say I'm a little bit more coach, you know. Um, if, if I tap you on your shoulder and say, like, hey, where are you right now? Mm -hmm. And you just look on your map. You don't want me to, to give you the answer. And sometimes, uh, and, and I especially can't tell you where you want to go. So you you know the answers typically, and I need to listen to figure to figure that out and to 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 help you. Mm. So do you think that the answers are there, sort of in our subconscious or or deeper, and sometimes um, it just needs those questions to draw them out? I think for the first two questions, the answers are mostly there. Mm. For the third questions, they can be there, mm. but they don't have to be because then then it comes to skills. Let's say you again. Let's say use the company example. Um, if you're totally keen on starting, let's say, a bakery, because th that's your passion, you like, you love baking. So, so then you know, okay, I want to have a bakery, and you say, okay, at one point I want to have like a master bakery in, in town. You know, high quality. It won't be necessarily cheap, but it will be the best, best, let's say, pie in town. That's like where you want to go. So now the question is, how do I get there? And then it's okay, I need to start a business, and like. Maybe that person doesn't know how accounting works. So in that case, the answers are not there. So they can be learned by new skills. So mm. the third question, can, there you can use advice. Mm. But I mean, it doesn't make sense 
for the first two questions to look for advice. You need it's, mm. it's a very different approach. It's very personal as well. Exactly. Isn't it? It's yeah. the where are you and where do you want to be? Yeah. And yeah, who are you and what mm-hmm. do you want to be? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really good. So, if people want to connect with you after this, is there some way that we can direct them to um, get in touch with you, or what would be the best way for that? The easiest way would probably be email. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what we'll do, if you're open to it, we'll put the email yeah. in the show notes. Yeah. So, when, if people are listening, they can um, scroll down, and basically underneath the show title, there's information that we can put. Yeah, I can so give you my email address we'll, and my website. Okay, you've got a website as well. If people are just listening and they want to Google it, what would they look up? (laughs) Um, I call it Summit Lab. Um, Well, that's kind of my my coaching business because the summit is, again, going upwards, but it also has this element of adventure for me, Mm -hmm. climbing mountains. Um, So so it's the thing. And the other lab is this experience, again, the exploring, um, Mm. exploring yourself, um, moving forward, moving out of your comfort zone. So, yeah, look for Summit Lab. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, Philip, it's been great to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. And, you know, I I didn't really know that we were going to talk about 260-kilometer races. (laughs) And um, also just to hear your story and your perspective on life. I think anyone who's been through cancer and come out the other side has a unique perspective. And I really value listening to your thoughts, uh, particularly on that idea of the different scales that... Mm -hmm that in life we need to make sure we're using the right scale and um, don't get caught out at the end of your life wishing that you'd looked or thought about who you are and where you want to be. So, yeah, just want to say thanks very much for coming in and, and having a chat. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Well, I hope you learned something in that interview with Philip. I found it was fascinating to talk about his research and what he's doing, which was the original reason for inviting him to be on the show. But then all of a sudden it got a lot deeper once he started talking about his experiences in his life and what he had learned from his father and what purpose means to him. I found it was really one of those interviews that goes places that I didn't really expect at the start. So if you enjoyed this interview, you might want to check out some of the back catalog because it's one of dozens and dozens of other interviews. This is actually the 56th one. And a reminder that there is both a Facebook page and a Twitter feed. If you look up Seeds Podcast, you'll be able to find those and keep up to date with the latest episodes. And if you hit subscribe, that's the easiest way to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes. Until next time.